Are you looking for hope? Then you're in the right place. If you're not, well, you're still in the right place because we all need hope. Welcome to the Shine and Delight podcast. We hope to navigate life's storms together as we encourage and build up one another to find true saving hope in the only one that can truly satisfy. We can't fix your problems, but we'll definitely point you towards someone who will. Come along. Oh, good morning, good morning. Just kidding, it could be any kind of day. It might be 6 o'clock at night, it might be 3 o'clock in the morning, it might be, I don't know, depends on things, but we are back with Shine and Delight. I'm here with Ro. Say hello, Ro. As usual, it's not raining today. It's not raining today. It is a good day here in Dallas, Texas, and not be raining. Um, I'm Andrew, and we have two special guests um, on here. Would you guys introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Katie. I am Ben. Ben, what's up? What does the audience need to know about you? Um, I bring a somewhat different perspective for a couple reasons. I am the whitest person alive, but I did not grow up in America. I grew up in the tropics of Asia, so I am an island baby. Do you tan, though? No. Okay. <laughs> hey, he's not full-on, like, white, red hair, you know, thinking like that, but yeah, I got gotcha. you. Huge, huge detriment to me growing up not tan <laughs> in the tropics. <laughs> Just death, sunburns all the time. Anything else you ought to know? Um, I have been following the Lord about three and a half years. Mm-hmm. I, in that time, have learned that I'm a bit of an idiot. So I'm just going to try to say things that are spirit-led, biblically founded. And I ask for grace in the things that I say that are of my own voice. And you guys just filter those out. S- sounds good. Uh, Katie, what about yourself? What should the audience know? Um, I did not grow up in a Christian family at all. I was actually very opposed to it for most of my life until I found Jesus in college, my very beginning of my sophomore year, where I had a complete Paul transformation, where I was anti it, anti it, very vocal about what I believed in, and then he's like, no, I'm going to use your passion for me. So he changed me. And then, um, so I've also been walking for about four years at this point. Come on. And Katie's very passionate, just so you guys know. Mm. But today, um, Ro, what's our icebreaker, by the way? If you're on a road trip, what is one restaurant, gas station, tourist attraction that would make you go out of your way to stop? Bucky's. You stole my answer. I still have never <laughs> been to Bucky's. Is this a, is this a Southern thing? It's a no, Texas it's a Texas thing. thing. It's a Texas thing. It's I'm not the, from Texas. For those of you I'm not here, am I? I fully, fully. He's from like 18 this. time zones away, and he figured it really out. 18. I absolutely am a believer in Bucky's. It is the best thing, one of yes. the best things about Texas, period. For those of you who don't know what Bucky's is, because you haven't been to the great state or nation of Texas, um, Bucky's is the world's largest gas station. There's like 100 pumps outside, and then inside the store, it's like your super center. Walmart super center are huge. They have food, clothing, drugs, soda fountains, but they have like 16 soda fountains. Like everything you could need is there. And Bucky is a beaver, and he just has this great face with a hat on, and you got to get all his paraphernalia. It's amazing. My two best friends almost registered there for their wedding. I don't oh, know if they did, but they man, were close. that's so cool. Yeah. All right, so you both said Bucky's. Is that just gonna, is that gonna stick where you guys would go on a road trip, have to go out of your way? Yeah. Um, Maybe Bucky's or anywhere first. I can jump off a cliff into water. That's what I was gonna say. I'll get there in a second. Kate, what about yourself? I don't know. I'm kind of like, when I'm on a road trip, I feel like my eyes are like headed towards the destination, and I feel like I wouldn't be quick to just be like, oh, I have to stop. She's not really about the I journey. feel like I'd be, I She's know, about, right? I'm, I was like I saying that, I'm like, this is not great. But I feel like it'd be one of those things where if like I'd see it and then I'd be like, oh, that's worth me stopping for. But I don't think I have this like already in my mind. Or in my stop mind. it like a sign that said world's largest chair. Ooh, perhaps. Does that excite you? Yeah, it could be. It could be. I don't know. I just. 
I would say I would stop at anything world's largest, world's biggest, the only. Like, if, it, if they gave me a sign for that, I'm, I'm like, we got to stop. Um, I would stop at, last time I stopped at, a, like, a blue hole in New Mexico. Came out of the way on a road trip with friends. Um, basically, it's, like, how big is it? I think it's, like, 250 feet deep, and it's just, like, 60-degree water, and there's tons of caverns in there, and people just go there to scuba dive. We jumped off a cliff to get into it. Super fun. See, and, I'd be down for and that. And none of us had, like, uh, you know, swimming gear or anything. So we're like, all right, get into our skivvies and jump in the hole and then dry off. And it was actually on our way to Awaken two and a half years ago or whenever Awaken conference was. So I went to college in Arkansas, and we went cliff, jiving, cliff jumping one day. And there was, like, this 300-pound dude, like a really fat guy, just doing, like, perfect backflips off the cliff. <laughs> <laughs> Olympic-level yeah. backflips was incredible. Mm. Well, today, guys, we're going to be talking about seasons again, um, seasons of growth, um, seasons of planting versus seasons of being uprooted. Um, and we got this verse from Ecclesiastes or this idea from Ecclesiastes 3.2. And Ro, will you read that to the audience? Sure. It says, uh, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven, a time to bo- be born and a time to die. And then the very next sentence says, a time, of, a time to plant and a time to uproot. And so we're talking about in this series, we've been talking about the juxtaposition between like different types of seasons. So we've talked about joy and grief and, and uh, success and failure. And so today we just wanted to talk about what it looks like when God plants something versus when God uproots something or harvests something. And Ben, I think you had a really good perspective when we were talking earlier about what this verse means. Because I came at it with, like when I, when I first saw that verse, I thought that is God like giving us opportunities and, and planting us where we're at versus picking us up and putting us in another place. And completely, you know, changing the trajectory of our plans. You had a really good perspective on that verse. I love playing word association with Bible verses. And so you said this, and it was about planting and harvesting. And I immediately thought about Galatians 6, 9, which is, uh, do not grow weary in doing good. For the proper time, we will reap a harvest that we not give up. And so I came at this verse from the perspective that it's really about the works of our hands. And it's about the, there is a time to toil, there's a time to do work, and then eventually you reap that, you harvest that. Um, but it's patience and perseverance before then, celebration after. Yeah, that's good. Whereas I'd come with a totally different perspective, again, word association, um, going to Matthew 13, the parable of the weeds, where um, it's referring to the Son of Man, but goes out throwing the, throwing the seeds, the sowing, which is the word of God, um, and it, it grows up into profitable Wheat, which is going to be, let's say, people who follow Christ, but then the devil comes and throws in the weeds, those who are, let's say, people who are away from God, and at some point in the future, God is going to come back with the angels and harvest both at the same time. And that's really what I, my word association immediately went to that parable. And I think that's what's amazing, though, is like every one of us comes from this different perspective and different life that we're living, and we can look at the word of God, and he speaks to us just so differently, and it's pretty cool because I came more from like the perspective Roe did where because I think that's more of a season that I'm in so when I see that that's just what my mind naturally goes to of a season here and then um, a season where you're uprooted elsewhere now there are a lot of farming analogies in the bible well, just, like wasn't agricultural I mean yeah they're not going to talk about IT but it, you know it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's an agricultural society farming yeah. fishing yeah. you know topical the, the thing is, it still applies applicable to today. Obviously, not as many people do it, but we still understand there's still farmers out there doing this exact thing throughout the entire world because people still have to eat. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Can I dig into Andrew's interpretation of that parable? Please do. You just said. Um, so Jesus actually calls that parable the parable of the sower, not the parable of the weeds. If you look, are we talking about the same parable? Go ahead, keep going. Um, 
And so I would actually argue that the parable he's saying from the perspective of the disciples is he's not saying that you're seeds. He's not saying that you're soil. He's saying you're the sower. You're the person. And that you will sow the gospel, sow the gospel, sow the gospel. Some people will say no. Some people will say yes and then be torn down. Um, some people say yes, and in the words of the world will get in the way, they won't produce fruit. And then some people will say yes, they'll multiply 30, 60, 100 fold. But I would say Jesus is still talking about the works of your hands as you share the gospel, as you sow. And Jesus references it um, in a few of the gospels. One of the gospels it doesn't clarify, but he says this is a parable of the sower. Yes, slightly different parables. It's quite all right. Okay. Um, two, two different sections. The parable of the sower, 100% correct what you're saying there. The parable of the weeds is later on. Um, and it specifically says when he explains it, because his disciples are always like, what does this mean? And later on, I have it pulled up. He says, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed are the people of the kingdom. The poisonous weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. All right. So it's two different parables looking at that. But I immediately thought of that. Your parable, the parable of the sower as well, um, where we're called to sow and we just get to see what the soils receive and how it reproduces. I, I, my interpretation where it's like where God is plant, there's seasons where God plants something and then has you here for a reason and also uproots you and puts you somewhere else. Let's dive into that. Let's talk but, about so it. So that I'm reading through Habakkuk right now. And that like kicked in for me because Habakkuk is all about this minor prophet who is praying to God on behalf of the nation of Israel. And Israel had fallen into all of these terrible habits. And then God was raising up the Babylonians and the Babylonians would later come in and conquer Israel. And it's like Habakkuk is going through and he's begging God, please don't let this happen. Please don't let this happen. And then God is saying, nope. Not only is it going to happen, but it's going to be worse than you can imagine because I'm raising up the Babylonians. They're very fast. They're very good at what they do, and they're about to conquer Israel and exile all of you. And, like, the message of Habakkuk was, in, in American Christianity, I think, it's very tempting for someone to get up there on the pulpit and say that everything is going to work out well for you. It's all going to go well. If you follow Christ, it's just everything is going to fall into place for you. That's not really what's happening in Habakkuk, and it's not really what, hap not really what happens throughout the Word. Because in Habakkuk, God is saying, not only is it, are things about to get bad for you, but they're worse than you can imagine. But it's okay because I'm in charge and I'm sovereign over all of it. The Babylonians aren't rising up in defiance of me. I am allowing them to become more powerful so that they can take you over because it's all part of my plan. And I think it's really like fruitful to kind of just co constantly remind ourselves of that because there are seasons where, you know, God does pull us out of the ground and it feels like it's purposeless and he's just doing this to rip us off. In reality, he's doing this because he has this higher purpose that we can't understand. And sometimes, you know, there are Babylonians in our own lives that God allows to, to conquer us. You know, whatever those Babylonians may be, um, God allows those, those things to, to take root in our lives. And it's not because he's trying to rip us off. It's because he has a higher purpose. Yeah, so let's take it from where Ro and Katie are seeing things. Um, John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches as well, does a really good job of explaining that. Um, where Jesus is the vine, we are the branches, part of that. And in John 15 too, it says, he takes away every branch that does not bear fruit in me. Right, So anything that's not bearing fruit at all. And then he prunes every branch that bears fruit so that it will bear more fruit. Very much agriculture analogy, but very similar. He prunes it. He uproots it. It hurts. Either one of those, a pruning or uprooting, um, the, the Hebrew word ikar, something like that, is for the way they say uproot or to pluck. also means to hamstring. Like if you hamstring a horse or you hamstring the back of an opponent in, in war, that really, really hurts. That's what God sometimes does to us to help us to grow. Well, I think that's so good. And going off that, I think it's just like we say all the time, I want to be like you, Jesus. I want to serve you. And he's like, okay, but are you willing to like suffer and surrender your life to me? And um, there's the other S word that I always 
keep my mind. I'll come do it. But it's just like you're. Submit. I mean, submit, suffer. Um, you said surrender. Yeah. Shoot. But shoot. <laughs> anyways, it's just like for you to become like Jesus, you're going to kind of go through it a little bit. He's going to allow you to suffer and struggle and have to trust him and walk forward when you don't understand to like grow your faith and to persevere through the trials and to grow in maturity, to come to completion. Um, and I think there's something with like, they say in this verse, like there's a time for this. Yeah. There's a time to sit where you're at with God and struggle and wrestle to grow before he goes and says, okay, now go. You know, so there's something with like the specific timing in which God works that we need to be surrendered to. I think surrendered was the word. Mm, that's good. What would you say in your own life? Because you have the season of being planted, of being uprooted. What does that look like in your own life? Well, for most, so even before I was a Christian, I had this heart where I wanted to go overseas and be a teacher. Crazy that that was in me before. But after I found Jesus, I was like, wait, no, I want to go also and do that, but be a messenger with that. So use my gift, but also bring the gospel. Well, once I found Jesus, I was the quickest to be like, I'm going to go right now. I'm going to do it in my way. I'm going to find every opportunity where I can break through and go serve overseas. And God had to humble me in so many ways and close every single door I tried to open in like crazy profound ways to where I was humbled and on my knees. And I was like, okay, like you have to teach me first. I'm not going to go and just do things my way. I have to do it your way. Like I have to be obedient um, and, and just trust you and how you want me to serve you, not how I want to serve you. And so that was something I had to learn. And so like in this waiting time, it's when he put me through so many trials, continues to put me through things um, so that, I mean, hopefully he will create me to be the vessel that he wants me to be um, before I do what he has me to do. It's kind of interesting that you, you said that you lived out the same story as Paul because that happened to Paul. So Paul has this amazing you know, conversion. He meets Christ on the road to Damascus, um, just this incredible story. And then we often think that Paul immediately goes straight into ministry. But I think he had to wait a little. I mean, he had to wait at least a couple of years, if I'm correct. It was a lot of years, I yeah, feel like. Yeah, I mean, he had to wait a while, and he had to study under Peter, and he had to get ready before God sent him out to do the work that God had ordained in his life. And so, yeah, it, it absolutely does. I mean, there's a season of growth. Like growing up playing sports, we had an off-season, we had an in-season. And so in the off-season, that's when you do conditioning, that's when you run in 100-degree heat to get you ready so that you can win when the season rolls around. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that's very applicable. Well, I think it's a really good question to ask is what is he uprooting me from and what is he planting me in, right? So even with Katie, there's a reason that he's not allowing you, that he's uprooting these things, he's closing the door, is because he wants to continue to grow with you and work with you. And asking that question, I mean, totally changes it. Because if it's just, well, you're taking all this stuff away. Yeah. And you're taking all this stuff away. I really like that, that stuff. stuff. So you can just get that back. <laughs> um, yep. But God is not a God of emptiness. He's not a God of, um, like, he doesn't clear the table. He redeems it. He loves redemption, like, to just almost a frustrating point sometimes. Where I'm like, can't we just get rid of this and we'll just be done with it? And it's like, no, I'm going to use this. It's going to be good for you. And so that question of, well, what is he uprooting? And what is he taking me to? It might be about what he's uprooting if you're in sin or he's trying to head you off. Or I think of um, Hosea too when he talks about, man, I'll put thorn bushes around her and she won't be able to go back to things and these things will dry up. Um, maybe that season's because he is uprooting things that you're idolizing or you're stuck to. Or maybe that season's about 
um, like the Paul story of he's going to do great, great things, and he's going to take you to great, great things. And sometimes you just have to kind of trust and figure out, well, is there something that I need to avoid or is there something that I'm working towards? Yeah, that's good. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how to respond to that. That was really good. I'm just sitting in the imagery in that sense, right? I mean, he's planted you in a specific area. We'll talk about Katie. Um, and he's kind of hedged you in to grow you and to prune you and to make that happen right there. Um, and at some point, he's going to pull that up and take you somewhere else. You just don't know the timing on that. You don't know when that's going to happen. You don't know where that's going to be. And you're all of a sudden like, and that's hard. That's really hard. There's something beautiful, too, about being a Christian and having this perspective that unbelievers don't get to have. It's like when you're going through trials and things are being taken away from you and you're suffering or whatever you're going through it's like no we we get to have this different perspective that produces hope and perseverance and drive that I just think if you don't have the hope of Jesus and that longing like even through that like you get this like eternal longing for God that you don't get if you don't know Jesus and it's like man I like through through all the suffering he's allowed me to walk through, it's like I look back and be like, dang, that was almost like a gift that you allowed me to walk through that to make me um, closer to you. And so there's something beautiful how you can take this like death and this struggle and God brings life from it. That's the gospel story. And when you just don't, when you don't have that perspective, you're just stuck on like self-pity and you're like, like, I don't know, like you just have this, you can't take it and put it in a per, like a positive perspective, yeah. you know? I think that's what makes the fact this comes from the book of Ecclesiastes super good because the book of Ecclesiastes, in my opinion, is super depressing. <laughs> don't get me wrong, super depressing. Mm-hmm. But from the perspective of Jesus, the perspective of an eternal hope of all this, man, life is dust, we're dust, we're dust. Loves weren't dust, dust in the wind over and over again, but we're not. If without Jesus we are, but with Jesus we're not. And I think your perspective is exactly why the book of Ecclesiastes is something I can read. Because without Jesus, I'm like, man, this is rough for me. And I think also it ties into Psalm 23, which is the most famous one in the book. And in verse 4 it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And it's interesting because that whole psalm, he's comparing himself to a sheep. And in the valley that they would have been walking through in that part of Israel, there were big cats, there were predators that would live in the walls of the valley. But if the sheep was next to the shepherd physically, those big cats and those predators would not attack the sheep. And so when you go through those difficult times and you feel like the walls are closing in on you, and there's all these enemies around you, our dependence on God strengthens. And so if dependence is our goal, then weakness is an advantage in that sense. Yeah. I like to think about these two seasons and wherever we're at, we're kind of looking at the other one, typically, or where God's like, Katie wants to be away, wants to be uprooted, and so the staying in the dwelling is hard. That's what she has to suffer through. Versus, I'm sure, the the opposite is um, when you want to stay, but God is calling you to go somewhere, and you're like, no, no, I just want to stay. I don't want to go anywhere. Come on, God. Please, can we just stay? <laughs> right? And, and those are two different perspectives, and I have them both in my own life looking at, I'm, I'm from Albuquerque, and at some point I wanted to go look at, you know, grad school elsewhere. This was probably four or five years ago, and God was like, shut down some doors, and I, and I was just like, no, stay. I'm like, but God, I want to go. I'd study abroad in Spain. I just want to keep traveling, keep exploring. But he's like, I need these roots to grow, grow deep, and I need you to be fruitful and bear fruit for me. So got involved at the young adult group, started serving, started leading a small group, pouring into guys, and I just watched this huge like tree grow for the people that's bearing a ton of fruit. 
And then it's like, he's like, I need you to uproot yourself and go to Dallas. Go to center. I'm like, well, God, I kind of like what I have here in Albuquerque right now. And he's like, no, no, I need you to go here to get educated somewhere else and to plant roots down there. And I didn't really want to do that. And it's hard looking back, but it's going to be very fruitful here. So seasons, those hard seasons. It's true. That was one of the doors where I was like, I was trying to go overseas right after college. He's like, nope, you're going to go to Dallas. You're going to be a teacher. You're going to do it my way first. I'm just like, okay. And to see what he's done in Dallas too, like, oh, I can clearly look back and be like, I know exactly why we had to do it this way. And it's good. And I I didn't think it was good then. I was annoyed that I had to wait because I'm not, I would not say that patience comes easily to me. So he, he like teaches me that in the waiting too. Oh, well, like in Jeremiah 17, um, where he talks about blessed is the land who trusts in the Lord, who trusts in the Lord. Um, and there'll be like a tree planted near a stream. Well, what goes on there? It's like, as we're trusting the Lord wherever we're at, whether that season of being planted, whether that season of being uprooted, it says it does not stop bearing fruit, right? It's when we get this anxiety and don't trust in the Lord, that's really when we stop bearing fruit. So either season, wherever we're in, as long as we're grounded and focused on him, like he's going to produce something out of that. So can you talk about the importance of bearing fruit and why it matters that we're bearing fruit? Me? Can we talk about bearing Anyone? fruit? Well, actually, I want to take it back to bearing fruit. So let's say you're all, here's the cool thing. When you're grounded in him and when he is sowed in you, I'm going to say the parable of the sower. It has the good soil, which is the receptive, the, the person who follows Christ. It says it's going to bear 30, 60, or 100 fold. It doesn't say zero fold. So the person, the good soil who actually hears the word of God is always going to bear fruit. That's the cool thing. As you're trusting in him, as you're, you're always going to bear fruit through that. But we yeah, look like ben I can tell on Ben's face, like Ben, I know ben, something, yeah, yeah. Good, something good's about to happen. Yeah, yeah. Go for it, Ben. I studied under a guy who was a missionary for decades. He is obsessed with the parable of the sower. Absolutely. <laughs> Great. Um, and he has debated people at seminaries. He has talked to people. And he's a king of getting one person to kind of agree with him. And he's like, well, that's gospel. So, um, and in that, I would say the definition of fruit would be, and I would agree with him, is the definition of fruit would be um, advance the kingdom of God. So new believers, new people. Um, it's different than the fruit of the Spirit. I think both are totally important. Both are completely important. The difference being... I really do think you work for the fruit of advancing the kingdom. You work for it, and you want it to grow, and it's rooted in God, and it's letting him lead. The fruit of the Spirit, you can't, you can't work for any of it. Mm. Uh, you cannot work for the fruit of the Spirit by definition. It's the fruit of the Spirit. you got to work for the Spirit. You cannot work for the fruit. Um, but in these seasons, I think the fruit, depending on what you're talking about, if, it's, if, it's, if you're working for the fruit of the Spirit and you're saying, hey, I need to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, what you need to do is root out sin in your life. Let God root out sin in your life and just dwell in the Spirit. Just absolutely dwell in the Spirit. Love the Spirit. Drink deeply from the Spirit, and that will produce a fruit. Um, if you're working for the fruit in that way, man, from this parable, sow a lot of seed. Sow a ton of seed. Because I think even... It's not clear why he said them in those order. My hypothesis, my guess from my own experience would be that's kind of, in terms of proportion, you go from the most common response to the least common response. Mm -hmm. And he's saying kind of to these disciples, hey, you're going to sell a lot of seed. A lot of people are going to say no. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to kind of be excited about a few of the people, and they're going to fall away. Mm -hmm. And you're going to be really excited about some other people, 
and they're going to get obsessed with work or their job or kind of, if you will, the season they are in life. But man, there's going to be that special person that I've ordained, that I've worked in the spirit, and they are going to multiply. Mm-hmm. And you're going to multiply with them. And that season of just kind of asking questions, am I sowing a lot of seed? And then am I good soil? What's what's in my soil? Do I need to root out stones? Do I need to root out weeds? Do I need to uh, till the soil or let God work in that? Because, I mean, man, God wants to produce fruit. And it says that he is the vine. He is the one. Without him, we will not produce fruit. But I think if you're in a season where you're like, man, there's no fruit in my life, ask the question why. Yeah. Ask the question why. And not you have to see every bit of fruit, but if you're not working towards any fruit, you're never in harvest. If you're not planting, there's a reason Ecclesiastes 3.2 talks about season to plant, season to harvest. Yeah. If you don't plant anything, if you don't sow any seed, how do you expect your life to be fruitful in a way that God would celebrate and wants, and that's just the best life to live is obedience in that way. Yeah, and like what's interesting about sowing seed is, so my dad has these two like box gardens in the backyard where he grows tomatoes. He's not good at it, but he like he grows these tomatoes, and um, like when they're half dead plants, he's really not. They good. get a few. I love my dad. He's a great lawyer. He's terrible at growing tomatoes, <laughs> and so he like when he plants them, he gets a little spade out and he like he digs a hole and then he you know he sticks the little whatever in the dirt and then covers it up and then he takes care of it until they. They produce tomatoes, the, right? The baby plant. He until until they don't produce tomatoes. Until they do produce tomatoes. But you said oh, he's yeah. bad at it. He's so. very bad at it. Well, okay. he, doesn't know how to, <laughs> he hasn't figured out how to keep the squirrels. And so oh, okay. he produces okay. tomatoes, but the squirrels He take feeds them, the squirrels. He yeah, feeds yeah. the squirrels. We're running a, feed ba- a food bank for squirrels. But, but, <laughs> so anyway, he that's how he plants tomatoes. But that's not what the parable of the sower is doing. Like the sower is t- reaching into a bag of seeds and just throwing them. Like he's just chucking them. And wherever they land, they land. Um, and like that's kind of like when you said sow a lot of seed share the gospel with as many people as you can and like just basically just throw seeds and just let God do what he's going to do. Yeah. And even just share your life with as many people as you can. Yeah. Like, man, share your life with as many people as you can. Yeah. Why not? It's good. So in, in your view of this Ecclesiastes 3, 2 in this verse, those seasons of planting, those seasons of uprooting or harvesting more or less, it's all about the works and the sowings aspect. Is that what you're saying? Um, my view, I get absolutely where Rose coming from. And I think I I would say this, that God is, we're the image of God. So any, so many things that apply to us apply to God first. And so we kind of in Rose's point of view, we're talking about God as the planter and the harvester. Um, I read this more as the point of view of man, of us as a planter and the harvester. And not that, I mean, biblically, you can say that Paul said an example of, I planted, Apollos watered, God grew, right? So biblically, I'm not saying that any works of our hand is our own ability, but mm-hmm. we've been called to toil. And even, even the original curse of Adam and Eve was, hey, you're going to have to work. And the ground's going to be hard to work with, and you're going to have to dig into it, and you're going to have to try. And it's kind of a gift of, of the Christian life that, man, why would we not want to work? Because working with the Lord, God is always working and being in that reflection of he's a harvester, he's a planter. If he's planting, the closest place I can be to him is planting myself, is planting with him, trying to do the same thing and persevering. And there's like this type of joy that comes with it, too, because that's part of like our design is to go and share our faith and to share our stories. And it's like anytime I do that, it's like there's this crazy joy that God gives me while I'm doing that, that because it's like that's the way he's designed us, to be so intimate with him, but also share our faith. It's the second part. Know God, make him known. 
And it's like you get Jesus in being obedient. Even if like you're not seeing the outcome of it, that's not for you to do. That's God's part, I think, mm-hmm. of like what he does with that. But you have to be obedient to what he's calling you to do and whatever that is. Mm-hmm. So. I'm just still thinking about the Imago Day. We're creating God's image. So we can look at it either way. It's God doing this or it's us doing this, um, which makes me think about John 4, uh, right after the woman at the well, his disciples come back out of Samaritan City, um, and they're talking to Jesus, and he says, hey, what he, well, his exact words um, are, he says, don't you say there are four more months, and then comes the harvest? I tell you, look up and see that the fields are already white for harvest. The one who reaps receives pay and gathers fruit for eternal life, so that the one who sows and the one who reaps can rejoice together. And so he kind of distinguished that someone's going to be sowing, someone's going to be reaping. Um, you're not, not all the time are you doing both, right? Sometimes you do get to, but sometimes you just do one or the other. Yeah. Both people are still working. Both people are exactly. still working. Both still working. And he's saying, hey, yeah. the harvest is, and later on in Matthew, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Yeah. Pray to the Lord the harvest that he sends out workers. Yeah. And I think it's important to add in like Matthew 11 of my yoke is light of that this work he's calling us to do, if it's by ourselves, it sucks. It's awful. It's so depressing, <laughs> so difficult. Yeah. I don't do CrossFit like Andrew, so I can't lift that much weight. Um, if you could see both of us in the room, you could really tell that I'm just <laughs> infinitely weaker. But ben had to bring the yoke up. of Jesus is light, and Jesus wants to do the work with us, and, and the closest place you can be to the Lord is in obedience, is with him in obedience. Mm. I don't like doing CrossFit by myself either. Right, that's the point. Is doing it, doing it with other people makes it that much more enjoyable and that much more bearable. Oh, I think that's so good too, because like we're the body of Christ, and it's like I think sometimes we get overwhelmed with like I have to go do all, like I have to be like Jesus, like I have to have every aspect of like my gifting, like to be able to like be fruitful. But it's like no, we all have like these like certain parts of us and the way He's gifted us, where it's just like run with like how God's gifted you and partner with other people and like do it together. Like, I don't think we have to do things alone either. And I think we put that weight on ourselves. We're just like, I'm not gifted in this area there. I can't be fruitful. You know, like, I feel like I've been gifted in teaching. And so it's like, okay, I got to run with that and, like, let God take care of it. You know, there's all these other things where I'm just like, dang, that'd be overwhelming for me to try to, like, do <laughs> ministry in that area because I'm not gifted in that. But, like, other people are, and that's okay. You know? There are lots of jobs to be done in the harvest. Mm-hmm. Tons of jobs. Um, yeah. And if everybody tried to do them themselves, that's when you have, you know, the smaller the field, right? The more workers, the more people doing different things. But you have to be in the harvest. You have to be working in the harvest through Jesus, right? So it doesn't matter what you're doing if you're in obedience and in the harvest. I mean, in a weird way, it makes me think of Moses and Joshua. Because Moses did all of this work. Like, he led them out of Egypt. He leads them to the wilderness. And then right before it's time to go into the promised land, he dies. Joshua takes over. And it's, like, kind of a bummer for Moses because he did all the groundwork. But then he doesn't actually get to see the promised land. But it's like, no, God, God isn't going to have Moses do everything. He's going to he's gonna have Joshua set, like, tee the ball up and then let Joshua take it from there. So apologies for the mixed metaphors, but Moses is passing the baton to Joshua because, like, we all have different purposes and, like, specific roles that God has ordained in our lives. And, again, we're not meant to do it alone. And, yeah. and Joshua was obedient yeah. the whole time, right? He believed in God's faithfulness the first time we were at the promised land, believed it afterwards and led the Israelites in the right direction. Yeah. And Moses had faithfulness as well, but he had a, a, a flagrant sin that, that against God, and God said, I can't let you in because of this. I think that also brings up such a good question. Are you comfortable being Moses, or do you just want to be Joshua? Yeah, Ooh, that's good. That's convicting. Do you want to lay the groundwork and be the sower, and you see nothing, right? Or do you want to be the reaper 
and kind of the sower sometimes, but the person who gets all the reward and sees all the fruit. But it's like Joshua, it's not like he, it, it was, his job was a cakewalk. I mean, he had to go in, he had to walk through the river when it was flooding. He had, he exhibited a lot of faith, that is yeah. correct. And he had to fight groups of people that, you and, know, he knew nothing about. And he was there, and he wandered for 40 years as well. He was right there. Yeah. But so, taking it back, Moses was in the wilderness for 40 years before that, you know, after he fled Egypt and God was working on his heart. And then he went to Egypt and he spent another 40 years in the wilderness. And he just, he had a season of waiting and waiting and waiting. And he never got to see the results. Whereas Joshua had a season of waiting and then he got to see the results as well. Right. Yeah. I love and the, the results from both. Yeah. I mean, there's still results even if you don't see it. Yeah. I think, I think about that waiting. Moses is waiting. Man, think about the Israelites just wailing on God. They're slaves. Like, when? You have promised us we're your people. You have promised us like a land of our own. When is that going to happen? And yet God in his perfect timing was cultivating Moses um, to go do the work. Mm. I love the Bible, man, because it ties in exactly to the verse that we were talking about, which ties into the New Testament parable that we started the episode with, which then goes back to the Old Testament. It's like all interlinked. It's so great. Yeah, and I mean, I'm glad we brought in the fruits of the Spirit, too, because if you're not seeing... if you're seeing, not seeing fruits as you're reading the Word of God, you're getting closer to Him, you're loving Him, you're, you're, so, you know, you're sowing, you're sowing, you're sowing, you're not seeing the fruits, but at the same time as you're doing that in your faithfulness, God is bearing fruits of the Spirit inside of you, and right, and you're going to see those. What's the, there's a, a story of a missionary, I don't want to butcher it too much, but I think he went to somewhere in Africa, I believe it is. Don't remember the guy's name. It's a, it's a real story, though. And um, during his time period there, he only led one person to come to know the Lord, right? Hey, one guy, though, he actually had success with that one guy. And while he was there, the local tribe was very much against Christianity, very much against him. So at some point, they actually threw him into the local river, and he got eaten by alligators or crocodiles at this point, crocodiles in the Nile, not in the Nile, but whatever river it is. Like, that's it. And so, like, looking back, you're like, man, that guy was kind of a failure. He was there for 15, 20 years, whatever happened, led one guy to Christ, and the entire tribe kills him. Man, that kind of... But what he did is he laid the groundwork, and that one guy ended up coming back to the tribe years later, um, and he said the story. The tribe had this tradition that basically um, whatever man, like, went into the river, like, they would listen to that person, right? Because that this man, this guy went to the river, like, he's powerful. The, the alligators are all there and whatnot. The crocodiles are there. And so he came back, and he said, this man whom you killed, he went into the river kind of a deal. Like, oh, that's right. And then they had to listen to his message. And so they actually listened to this guy, and the majority of the tribe became Christians, right? Because the faithful missionary led one person to know Christ. This guy went back to the tribe years later, and the majority of the tribe came to know it. And he ever, So the missionary never got to see all that, that harvest, but he planted the seeds, and that one seed, and that just blew up into something. So a lot of time, I'd say, we don't get to see what's going to happen in the future. We don't get to see what's the fruit that's going to come from it. I mean, we even look at the life of Jesus, Right? I mean, the, he kept sowing and sowing, sowing, and there was only inside. Most of Jerusalem rebelled against him and, and killed him and crucified him, and you have his disciples and a few other faithful people, right? But really after that, that's when Christianity expanded, when Jesus left. Yeah. You just honestly described the work of, of what a missionary should be, really, is, mm-hmm. and this is my opinion. This is uh, um, the best I can figure reading the Bible, but it's not my job to go start a church and, and preach and um, start anything in my image. My job is to birth the local church, and then the locals with the Holy Spirit, with the Word of God, um, would go and conduct everything, would go and do that. So really, if I'm doing my job well as a missionary, I will probably leave if I'm successful. I will probably leave. And really, if I'm doing my job as a missionary, I'm not even 
trying to lead those people to Christ. I'm trying to have an adjacent people group, a similar culturally people group who have the least barriers between them come in as Christians and lead them to Christ, and that it would be an indigenous people group, an indigenous church. And so in a weird way, I have to get okay with the idea of I'm, I very well, I will probably never harvest anything mm-hmm. if, I'm, if I'm doing my job right. I am a humble learner. I am a servant to the local people. It is not me doing anything. It is literally just let me offer some resources. Let me give some strategy. Let me encourage your vision that we would fulfill God's mandate. But, man, I'm totally okay with the idea that I will probably, if I'm doing the correct thing, I should not be harvesting. I should just be encouraging the sowers and sowing a little bit and encouraging some of that harvesting. And one day at Revelation 7, when everybody, when people of every tribe and tongue are worshiping the throne of God, I get to celebrate that. Mm. I don't, I mean, that's my, my harvest. That's from a, I can celebrate that from a business perspective. I like giving business analogies. It's kind of like Steve Wozniak, like Steve Wozniak was one of the nerds and was he Microsoft or Apple? Let's say Apple. He was one of the nerds in t-shirts that started Apple because he had a really good idea. But then he, like he, in terms of day-to-day functions of Apple, I don't think he's involved at all. But because he's an owner of Apple, he gets to collect on those dividends, right? Like he gets to be a shareholder of Apple and he is loaded because he started the vision and then like someone else came and continued the vision. And so like, that's a bad analogy, but like in terms of the kingdom of Christ, like if your job as a missionary is to start the vision or to get things going and then have someone else have the local people come in and run that church once you're gone, you get to be a part of that in the kingdom of heaven. Like when the kingdom of heaven grows as a result of that work, you get to be a part of that. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. The gospel is going to be what God uses to reach any people. Whether or not any of us or the people are going to bring it to them, who knows? Yeah. Totally unlikely. But God is going to use that gospel however he gets there. However we participate in that in that work. I mean, I'll, I'll spoil the entirety of the Bible for anybody who hasn't read it. If you haven't read it, I encourage you. <laughs> you should read it. It's a great book. You're going to trick the um, end or changing. Doing? Um, God wins. Ooh. God wins. And the book of Revelation, everybody's like, man, it's scary. No, it's, I love it. It's great because God wins. Like everything is borrowed time for Satan, for the enemies of God. God wins. And if you're on his team, you win too. Mm. Like it's, it's an internal hope. So if you're laboring, like, man, it's great. It's great. I think of first Peter four nineteen, for if you're suffering away in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. Put your trust, put your trust in the God who created you, for he will never fail you. I think of that, man. If your work is suffering, if that season of uprooting or that season of planting or whatever it is is suffering, and you're Moses and you're gonna suffer and you're gonna wander in the wilderness or anything like that, put trust in God. He created you, he will never fail you. Suffering is not a bad thing. You're gonna be suffering a while, but just keep working for God, keep doing what is right. Man, what a word of encouragement to those people who are longing to see results or longing to see something, and they're not. But like you said, we, if we look to the finish line, if we look at it and we know what happens, we know who's going to win, um, and just look at that, and God's going to bring people to fruition. It's going to bring to fruition. It's amazing. Yeah. That's how we get to encourage people is like, just look at the end. It's start with the beginning, but also look at the end, what's going to happen, and then we deliver lives in the middle, right? Very good. So, Katie, I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. We're talking about, like, sowing seeds and what does it mean to be faithful. So let's say that you encounter someone who has never met Christ. What are you telling that person? <laughs> if you want to tell them about Jesus, <laughs> just oh lead someone to Christ off what? the street right now on the podcast. Okay. Maybe. Well, when I honestly, like, I will go around sometimes and just, like, see random people and go ask them, like, where they find their hope. 
Yeah. Because I have these little Bibles that say, here's hope. <laughs> so I'm like, here's a really great question to just like lead it with. And so like, I don't know what people have various different answers, you know, and when you get that one that says, oh, I find my hope in Jesus. I'm like, man, praise God. And like God, honestly, through those people, like encourages me through conversations. But I mean, people find their hope in all different things. And so, I mean, usually once they say, this is where I find hope, they're like, where do you find your hope? I'm like, let me tell you, you know, let me tell you like what God has done in my life and how I was at a point of like suicidal thoughts and had like God took everything from me and how like he took me through it. I mean, he saved me and gave me a spirit and put me like on this new journey and um, gave me hope. Like he truly did give me hope when I had no hope. And so, I mean, I, and then just go through and be like, let me tell you about this God. Let me tell you like who he is, what he's done and how he's still present in our lives, you know? Um, so I don't know. Praise God. Yeah. It goes, a- a- every conversation is different. Yeah, but you know? you're using your testimony. And yeah. it's the, the woman at the well. Well, she's running back to the city. Come see the man who knows everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? Right? The testimony. He knows everything I've ever done, and he loves me. You got to come see this guy. You got to know this guy. That's the most powerful thing we have is our own stories, how God's redeemed us. And it's just all these different conversations. People come with all their different questions and, mm-hmm. you know, whatever they're struggling with, like if they're going to take it more on like an apologetic route, it's like, okay, let's dive into that. Or if they need you to just like pray over them and give them encouragement, go down that road or whatever. But like, it's just cool to meet people where they're at and provide hope no matter what. Mm. Man, that sounds like the vision of shining delight. Meet people where they're at and provide them with hope. Yeah. Love it. Perfect way to wrap it up. I love that. All right, guys. Any final statements there, Ben? Man, the word of God is powerful. If you can ask anyone anything, if they would give you one request, hey, would you read the Bible with me? Just read the word. If you're not reading the word regularly, you are not. It's not that you're you're like an imperfect person. We're all imperfect people if you're reading the Bible. You're missing out on so Mm -hmm. much goodness. So much goodness. I would just say, man, if you're in any season, read the Bible. Where should they start? I am a big fan of John. Okay. I like the book of John. I think the person of Jesus is very good. But if you're more of a factual person, I think Luke is fantastic. But I would start with the gospel. The doctor. I love it. Mm-hmm. I have nice. a doctor. that like I grew up down the street and our like, really good family friend was a doctor. And so Luke talks exactly the same way as that. As Dr. Brian, which is like, it's funny. Oh, to I me. thought you were gonna say the doctor's name was Dr. Luke, too. I'm no, like, cool. oh, that's so cool. And yeah. bro, you like that song where it's like the red letter? It's like, go read the yeah. red letters in go. a Bible. Mm-hmm. Find a Bible that has red letters and go hear from Jesus. Amen. That's where Amen. you should I will start. Say, do not start with Ecclesiastes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't recommend doing that. <laughs> Look up the verse, Ecclesiastes 3 2, read that, call it good for the day. Uh, but guys, thanks so much for listening. Bye. Thanks for having us. Oh, do I have to like. <laughs> Dude, you gotta say goodbye, bro. You gotta bye. be nice like that. Uh, I bye. say bye. Uh, <laughs> hasta pronto. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to this episode. We hope you were encouraged and inspired to turn to the only one who can and will satisfy you. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them out. Feel free to reach us on any social media platform at Shine and Delight. You can also shoot us an email at shineanddelight at outlook.com. Until next time, be kind, love all, share your shine.